up, mamas? It's Tanika Ray. I was a television host for 20 years before my entire life blew up when I had a baby. Shifting gears from red carpets to a gig called Mom required a whole new game plan. The carefree, globe-trotting boss babe me was suddenly in search of a mommy tribe to help me navigate the inevitable fumbles and fails of raising a kid. Mama Stay with Tanika Ray is a sanctuary for the mommy collective, where we amplify our self-love and self-care, trade tips on raising conscious kids, help each other fine-tune our boundaries, and celebrate the highs while forgiving ourselves for the lows in the wild, 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 wild world of mommying AF. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to Mama's Day with Tanika Ray. It is, wow, is it really the, the end of January already? This is always such an interesting time of the year because my birthday is in this last week of January and it feels like once we enter into the new year, it races and we're like, what? <laughs> it's already my birthday. So I'm really excited to celebrate my birthday this week as this pod is launched. I just produced an event in person three days ago, and I am overwhelmed with how incredibly obsessed I am with planning this. So right now, as I'm recording, I'm going to give you a little inside baseball, a little bit behind the scenes. While I'm recording today, it is six days before the event on the 22nd. And when this comes out, it will be on the 24th of January, which is one day before my birthday. So snaps to all of it, because I really went into this new year in isolation, introspective. I really need to be with self. I'm one of those people. There's some people that need to think at coffee shops. There are other people that don't like to spend any time alone because I guess well, I guess some people are just uncomfortable with their own voice and the voice that's in their head or the voice of the universe, the voice of God. But let me just be really clear. I'm very, very comfortable with it. I actually crave it. And over the holidays, which was rough, I've made that very clear. I decided that it was the perfect time to go inward. Now, I have never been an influencer. I know I'm not an influencer because when holidays happen, which is a great time to get your post out and get more fans and get more followers because everybody's at home on vacation, that's supposed to be the time I go into overdrive as an influencer. But I was tired. I was exhausted. And to be perfectly honest, I needed to lean into rest. I needed to shut it all down and lean into rest. I didn't even produce pods. I just wanted to be with me. Trust me, it's always such a great time. <laughs> what I realized was having the one-year anniversary of Mama's Day, I wanted to celebrate it as well as my birthday. I wanted to celebrate it, not so much where the attention is all on me because I don't really need that, but I wanted to celebrate the tribe of Mama's Day for my birthday. I wanted to celebrate all the moms that have graced me with their authenticity and their transparency, all the moms that came on to share their stories, all these dope mothers who I honor so much, who I look up to, who I take notes from. I wanted to throw a party and make them the stars of the party where they can receive maximum relaxation and rejuvenation. And I'm doing it all on a beach. That's right, because that's how I do it. In the middle of winter, I'm that girl. It is Los Angeles. And I've checked the weather almost every day. It's going to be 60 degrees. We can do this. Throw a schmata on, aka a jacket with your muumuu and some sweatpants, and let's go. I'm super excited to tell you all about this event, but it is called Mom Made of Magic. I loved the name of this event when my party event planner, Alicia Moore, came up with it. That is exactly it. Moms are made of magic. The magic that we produce every single day is mind-boggling. 
And so I wanted to create this space, invite these mothers in. I even have some moms traveling to come. So I will tell you all about it on the other end of this. But what I'm going to get into now is I had a really rough week with my baby daddy, my baby's father, the man whose genes are running through my child. That dude had a really rough week. And it's cool. You know, it doesn't even matter what happened. All I know is that the stress and the pressure and the heat was in my neck. And that is just never a good feeling. That's when I know I need to calm down, take some deep cleansing breaths. I even gave myself like the best Christmas present ever. It is a 528 hertz whistle that you blow into when you're feeling stressed. And it makes this noise that soothes your soul. And I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to be sent some places, if it's going to test my gangster, this mommy, I'm going to have to figure out ways to relax and release that tension. So dealing with him was very frustrating. My daughter gets wound up. She gets upset. She feels neglect. It's this whole thing. Because when things happen in the unit of a family and the father doesn't live up to his responsibilities, everything gets dumped even more so on the mother. And so I had to deal with emotions and feelings of being neglected. It was just a hard, hard week. And it made me realize that going into 2023, I wanted to add some new juice to this podcast. Yes, I am all about women connecting with each other, having each other's backs, exploring the stories and of how these moms navigate really tricky waters. But in 2023, I promised you this last week, I was going to add some dads because women can talk all they want in an echo chamber about how frustrating it is to have a balanced parental situation with a man, especially if they're not with them. So I'm super excited. This is the day, you guys. We are bringing on our first father, and not just any old father, a dope, amazingly accomplished thought leader. I mean, yeah, he didn't subscribe so much to that title, but he's just a guy who had a lot of circumstances against him, who rose above it, and now is considered an exemplary member of society, father, contributor, author, all the things. So I was beyond excited when a member of his team reached out to me to have a conversation. I had just appeared on this amazing show with Claudia Jordan, Lisa Ray, Vivica Fox called Cocktails with Queens. And we were specifically talking about how to keep your shit together When you have to manage co-parenting with the man you don't want to be with. And sometimes you don't want to deal with, talk to at all. It's tricky, y'all. But what came out of it is I was contacted by Shaka Senghor's people to continue the conversation on my pod, Mama Stay with Tanika Ray. So without further ado, I am getting off of this intro and jumping into this interview. Everyone, please welcome the first daddy on Mama Stay with Tanika Ray, Mr. Shaka Senghor. So excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I really got to spend some time in spaces with you on Clubhouse and really listen to how you navigate through spaces and how steady you are in your convictions, which obviously you've had a lot of time to nurture. And that's such an unusual thing to witness in 2022, especially from a Black male So I am just honored to be in this space with you. Thank you so much for reaching out. I have goosebumps just thinking. Let's. I want to dive in at this point. You saw my conversations with the Queens and you reached out to me. What was your initial response to that recording? I think my my initial response was just, you know, the importance of us having healthy conversations around co-parenting 
parenting and dad's roles in parenting, which I think are often omitted in our public conversations. And I think there's a variety of reasons as to why they're omitted, but I wanted to be super intentional about having more interesting conversations around parenting. And I do too. So we are very aligned there. And I think when I'm on a radio show where there's a very specific time frame in order to get your point across, it's all about sound, little sound bites at that point. Right, right. So from what I said and what aired, where do you think I am in regards to my baby's father in her life? Well, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. And I try not to make snap judgments based on sound bites, as you mentioned, which can be, to me, a very unhealthy way of engaging with people. Ultimately, what it comes down to is us just having a conversation and really getting a chance to learn about how we think about parenting and partnership and roles that parents, whether present or absent, play in the lives of our children. 100%. And I've been reading your bio. I obviously know your background. You were sitting across from Miss Oprah Winfrey. That's how successful you become, whether you identify as an influencer or a thought leader. I'm not sure, but there's so much to be gained from the wisdom that you have earned from your time behind bars and since then. So what do you identify with? Are you an influencer? Are we putting those quotes around your name? I basically hate all labels um, (laughs) because I think they set up they set up these really kind of unfair expectations of what it means to be human. Obviously, my some things about my public life is is very easy to access from people, Uh, you know, being a writer, being a great communicator and someone who's been on a variety of platforms. People like to kind of box me into these areas. It's like oh, the criminal justice activist or the social media influencer. And I, I really don't see myself that way. I'm I'm really just a brother from the D who happens to love to write, share stories, talk about interesting things. And I lead my life and my family through a very specific way of thinking. I show up in the world in alignment with what I believe and what I care about and what I'm passionate about. But I'm also human, you know, and I think it's important for even those who identify as influencers or activists or whatever other label people tend to need to box us into, I think it's important for us to create space for people to just be who they are and and to be human. And, you know, as great as social media has been, I also think it's created this very toxic idea around how do we engage with other human beings? You know, it's like we can celebrate their big moments and then we kick them off the pedestal the first time that they have a misstep. And the reality of what it means to be human is all the things in between those worlds. And so I just try to live my life through that lens. One of the things that I try to bring to every conversation is a broadened perspective in, in terms of my curiosity. You know, I've been curious about so many aspects of, of life. And what that's done for me is it's led me down this incredible path where I am able to really connect with people from all over the world. And to be open to it and not feel like my ideas are the only ideas. And what I've found is that the people I see as great leaders, you mentioned earlier, Oprah. And, you know, we know that there's the magical Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, blah, blah, blah. But Oprah is really brilliant. You know, she's really curious about people and the human experience. And she leans into that. And that's what's allowed her to manifest this incredible life she has. And she couldn't be who she is if she wasn't curious. If she walked into every conversation thinking that she had all the answers, she would never learn anything. And even when I go back and think about my conversation with her and how we first met early on, and, you know, she self-admitted that there was judgment of like, why would I be in conversation with this guy? Why would I read his book? You know, this guy was convicted of murder. He spent 19 years in prison, seven years in solitary confinement. What in my world would I get from being in a conversation? But there's that that part of her that's super curious about life and deeper learning that allowed her to lean in. And, and you know, several years later, we're now friends and we're talking about things. And that doesn't happen without curiosity. For me, and maybe it's the connection I have with Oprah, I'm an Aquarius. I'm forever 
curious. I'm fascinated by human beings. And so that led to my career in television. Yes, I was on red carpets, but for me, I didn't care about the celebrity aspect. For me, I was fascinated by what made people tick. But our culture as a whole does not operate through the filter of curiosity. We operate through the filter of survival. And I heard something yesterday that was mind-blowing, and I want to share it with you. It was a podcast, and the guy said, the reason why Black men can't lead is because they're always in a state of survival. And if you're always under attack, how can you protect not just yourself, but those that are in your family as well? And so I was curious what your thoughts on about that. What is at the corner of why Black families aren't successful today, why Black families can't lead together and why it isn't the norm. It's always considered the rarity. I think it's really interesting that the narrative around Black men in a way that it's been kind of scripted and and how it shows up in a lot of these spaces. For one, I don't think the narrative is wholly true. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a part of our narrative, but it's not all of our narrative. The last CDC report, Black fathers are the most present of all fathers in the world. That narrative doesn't get talked about. When I talk to people in a, in a very intimate way and I ask them questions about who are the men in their life, not the lovers that they've had, that they're scorned because that thing didn't go right, but who are the men in, in your life? Who are your uncles? Who are your brothers? Who are your cousins? And then you find the narrative starts to shift. You find that, you know, people start to see, oh, you know, I know Mr. Williams down the street who's been mentoring to kids for 40 plus years while living in the same house. I know the brother at the barbershop that I can always rely on to give a wise word. Oh, my uncle, such and such, he's raising multiple families, uh, you know, because that's who he is as a person. So I don't think that it's that we can't lead. I think that we've bought into this narrative that's been scripted, packaged in a certain way. Given the reality of the world that we live in has been, you know, one of such when you look at the spaces where people tend to say, "Okay, this is where black men are. Right. So think about this. In the 60s and 70s, when you think about leadership, they were people that came out of civil rights. They were people who came out of social impact spaces. Now, when something happens in our community, we're like, what did Jay-Z got to say about it? Is LeBron on this thing? Is such and such. Meanwhile. There's black men in every community who are leading organizations, who are present in their households, who are doing incredible work. And because they're not a sports celebrity or entertainer, they don't rise to that level of recognition and acknowledgement. And then when you add to that the the fiasco of dating and people <laughs> are are kind of communicating on these social platforms out of their personal experience, but they take their personal and then they generalize it to be present with everybody. I will, however, say this, and I do think this is important. When there is a challenge for Black men to commit, a challenge for Black men to show up fully, authentically, and presently, there is a survival reality to it, you know? What's really sad to me is that nowadays, it's like, if we talk about the struggles of Black women, we can't be inclusive of the struggles of Black men. And it falls right into this narrative that's been created and scripted for years to keep us divided. I can acknowledge that as a black woman, you have struggles that I will never understand as a black man. I can acknowledge that for a white woman. I can acknowledge that for a white person. We all have our things that are different for different reasons, right? But I think how we get to a space of healing and wholeness is recognized. You know what? My sister over there is struggling. She's going through a thing. There's moments where I may not be able to show up for But what I also need her to understand is that I'm struggling to survive and realize when I walk out of my house, I feel that my life is always up under the horrific reality of the threat of violence. What I think is that once we can get to a space where it's not a competition, it's not a trauma competition. And sadly, that's what the social narrative has turned into. I hear people reposting over and over and over again, the the Malcolm X quote, the most unprotected person in the world is the black woman. That is absolutely true. Like that is that that's a truth. Right. But it's not all of the truth. You know, when you think about the ways to die in the world and the the country that's supposed to be the most prosperous, supposed to be the most advanced, 
black men lead almost every statistical category. And when we get into gun violence, we get into incarceration. Like even now with incarceration, the face of incarceration isn't black men, despite the fact that we make up the majority of the prison system. Uh, when we talk about injustice, the face oftentimes isn't black men, even though we're the most likely to be harmed by that system, right? And when we talk about day-to-day life, you know, when we're talking about, you know, in Chicago where annually six to 700 people are killed, most of those are black men and most of them are young black men. You talk about Detroit, you talk about Atlanta, you talk about South Central. So the threat to our lives is a real thing, whether you're a celebrity. I mean, we did, we see what's happening in hip hop culture, right? And so if you're waking up every day wondering, how do I survive? It's hard to think about commitment. It's hard to think about love when everything that you love has been taken away from you. Yeah. You know, when you think about that, I, I go into rooms all the time and I ask brothers and I and I encourage women who are dating, who are aspiring toward having a healthy whole relationship with black men. Just step back for a second and ask questions. Ask them how many of their friends have been shot. Ask them how many of their friends have been killed. And I promise you, you can go into a room of pretty much any brothers. And when you ask that, raise your hand. You know, how many of your friends were shot when you were a teenager? And I promise you, every brother's going to raise their hands. How many of them were killed? Every brother's going to raise their hands. You know, how many of them do you know somebody incarcerated that was your friend? Every one of them is going to raise their hand. Once you get the answer to those questions, then we can talk about commitment. Because if you learn from an early age that everybody that you love is going to be taken away from you, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to open up. It's hard to say, you know what? I can show up fully in love. I can put this survival down. You know, those are real things. And so it doesn't mean that you have to acknowledge those things and not acknowledge your own hurting. You know, I think it's really, really important for us to be able to say, let's sit with each other. Let's actually hear each other. And when you hear each other and you sit with each other, you know, I just think you show up in in, in a different way and your experiences are different. So I don't navigate the world through this lens of like, I can't commit or I can't show up in love. I got great examples of that. My my men and my family are dope. Tell me. Yeah. So I, I grew up with, you know, my dad, who is truly like my hero, my dad has raised a total of nine children. And my dad has been an integral part of mm. children's lives for over 50 years. All the men in my family are present dads. They are dope dads. They're like really intentional. You know, you come to our house, the kids are there, the dads are there. And they're not dads just in the sense of being providers. They're also nurturers. You know, when I go to my uncle's house, my uncle, I'm, I'm a grown man and my uncle still will fix me a plate. That's what I grew up with. You know, when I go to my dad's house, my dad will still cater to everybody at the home. I learned from my dad, the task at the house isn't just cutting the grass. Sometimes it's doing the laundry. Sometimes it's cooking. Sometimes it's washing yes. dishes. Like, that's what I've seen my whole life. You cannot be my friend if you're a deadbeat dad. Like, that just doesn't work in terms of what I understand loyalty to be. You know, you can't be loyal to me if you can't be loyal to those you sire. And so I'm fortunate. Like, my 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 friends are, they really about that dad life. You know, we talk about it. We We create space for each other. And we have these really intentional conversations around our emotional health, our psychological health. How are we showing up in our children's life? Let's expand the narrative and to include all of who we are. Yes, let's talk about the dads that aren't present. You know, let's talk about how do we even support them to get into a space where they can show up. But also let's talk about the dads who are present. Let's talk about the dads and the men who are great partners and and, and great allies and who can really hold space and listen with love and care without judgment. And we just don't talk about that enough. And it's one of the reasons that I wanted to have a conversation because I just feel like as a brother who, you know, and I do have respect in a lot of these spaces, men trust me and they listen to me. And, you know, obviously I know I have a cheat code as well. And my cheat code is I can show up in love. I can show up in laughter. I can show up in kindness because the brothers know I've lived a tough life. And so they don't have to look at it like, oh, the brother just saw Nothing soft about me in that in that regard. You've already earned um, their respect. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's the cheat code, right? Yeah. But I don't even think it should take that for 
us to actually say, you know what? Love is actually really dope. You know, laughter is really dope. Joy is a real thing that we should all have access to and that it's actually painful to walk around with your face on an ice grill and feeling defensive toward the world. Like that doesn't feel good. Any brother that's, that's masking that or portraying that as this feels good. Like it's not, it's not real. You know, nobody wants to be angry all the time, you know? Unfortunately, that seems to be the only emotion allowed for black men in America. I have so much to say with what you just shared. Thank you for that. First of all, yes, your dad is dope. The males in your family are dope as hell. Two, you are quite literally, if you see it, you can achieve it. And what we have, especially for my generation, I think we're about the same age, is Reaganomics. Reagan came in through the crack. And my generation of men are not like the men that you grew up with. For the most part, they didn't grow up with fathers and there was no one to witness in order to reflect who they will be as fathers and partners. For the most part, I am a grown woman. I mean, I don't usually say my age, but I'm a grown ass woman. And I have only dated in my very vast dating experience, one man who had a father. I'm talking high school, college, None of them had a father role model. They were all raised by women who were raising them with pain. They were all raised by women who were trying to show them how to be men. And obviously a woman can't show a man how to be a man. We all understand this. And so when it comes down to there are anomalies like you and your friends and their cells of functional parenting, which are awesome. And I wish you guys would hold tours around the country and the world. But it's a lot. It's a large burden because the majority of Black men, if they aren't being hunted in the streets and they aren't being marginalized in all the many ways white supremacy has perfected this, they usually don't see it. Where do you expect a Black man to start your book? How can he start reframing his mind reshifting the way he thinks Black men should present themselves in the world in order to be there. Because yes, not only do Black women carry so much of the burden, but when you are together and you make a child together, that should be 50-50 responsibility. And for the most part, these men, because they've never seen it, bow out. It's too hard. I just They just leave. And in my personal case, my baby's father is here. He's physically here. But even my eight-year-old is like, mommy, my, my dad doesn't really pay attention to me. Like she's even getting it. And I've never had this discussion with her that because his father was not there, he was actually, he chose the streets. My baby's father thinks he, he is the beacon of parenting because he's physically there, though he's not mentally there. So yes, I can be grateful for his physical presence, but it's still not, it's still, I'm still going to have to help my child navigate the fact that her father's not listening to her. The fact that yes, my daughter's a vegetarian and he is giving her hot dogs. That feels like to my eight-year-old, my daddy doesn't care about me. So it's all the things in his innocence that I now need to reacclimate my child to, that I now need to soothe her, nurture her around feeling that her father's against her. So it's it's a it's so many complicated waters. And I am not saying this is easy, nor am I saying that I have the worst baby's father in the world. I do not. He takes her to school every day. But from where I come from, I grew up with a dad in the house. I grew up with a father who was reliable, who was loyal, who was honest, who was from the old old school. And, and I asked a girlfriend, I'm like, where are those guys today? They don't make them like that anymore. Like just yeah. whole, like cold, like loving their family, just salt of the earth, Midwest roots. They don't make them like that anymore. So for a woman like me who had nothing, who has nothing but a model father, I don't know where to go. And yeah. all I have is that to compare it to. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, and I think that's a great model to have to compare, but it can also be unfair to anybody that you date, right? A hundred percent. The other part of that, you know, when I think about my dad, if you, if you were if you were my sisters and they were having a conversation with another man, they would have that same story. They would tell you all the things, right? But what they wouldn't have is the story that I have with my dad, which is my dad's pain and how much of the things that my dad stuffed down in order to be a provider, mm. in order to show up in love in order to navigate complexities with my mother, like things that we don't talk about, especially in our community, when we're talking about the rearing of children, um, you know, there, there, there are these things where, where guys chose the streets because they're trying to survive and trying to provide. But it's a narrative created that that's the only value that men have is what can I provide for you and how can I protect you? And if that's the narrative that we're raised in and that's the narrative that we get barked into our ear, how do you expect a man to get to a space of like, oh, I also need to nurture you? When you think about those old school Midwestern dads, a lot of them died really early on because they stuffed down so much, you know, of the stress. They stuffed so down so much of the idea of who they are. And we don't talk about that. We kind of romanticize that generation, but most of them didn't live past 70. And if they did live past 70, they lived with poor health. They live with, you know, strokes and heart attacks and all these things that are a result of all of this stress that's packed down. And then what we also don't don't talk about is governmental influence when it comes to the way that children have been raised in this American society, specifically in our community. It's easy to say, well, the dad ran off and he couldn't contribute. But what if you're collecting Section 8 and you're getting welfare that the dad doesn't have access to? Uh, you almost ran off as well if you didn't have that support case, right? So I think there are some deeper things that we're we're just not talking about. One is this blanket narrative. And I talk to dads from every walk of life. I'm talking about from the most successful to the brothers who are trying to figure out how to get off the corner. And the story is the same. Where do we fit in outside of our ability to provide provision and to protect? And once those two things are gone out of the window, then we we're, we don't have any value. Like that's the real reality that we're talking about. If you listen to the narratives around dating, you know, they went through this whole thing of high value men and what they want and blah, 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 and all this foolishness, right? But when you get down to those core things, is there some truth in that world, right? You know, we I, I have a joke where I always talk about, you know, Father's Day. What are the gifts that fathers get, right? We get the barbecue kit, we get new tools, and it's all about fixing and preparing things for everybody else. We don't get the great bottle of tequila, tickets to the game and a cigar in a day where we just don't have to deal with nobody. Chaka, don't um, get me started on Mother's Day gifts, okay? They're like, oh, no, y'all, get, cleaners, y'all okay? get turned up. Y'all get turned up for Mother's Day. No play. Now y'all get turned up. The Mother's Day is how we can listen. take care of other people as well. We have this very similar gripes in that. But, in that but what I mean by that is when you think about the rollout of it, right? You think about the narrative, like we are expected to celebrate mothers as we should, but we're expected to celebrate them even when they're toxic, even when they're abusive, even when they are harmful. Mm-hmm. And you talked about your dating life, right? And and what your experience was. I've dated a lot of women throughout my journey, right? And I've dated women with children. I've dated women without children. And I can tell you that some of the toxicity that shows up later in life, that starts in the household. It's not, it's not just the, the absent parent. It's like, who is the present parent? Are they taking out their poor experiences on their children? Are they emasculating their boys before they even get a chance to understand what manhood is? Are they making their boys men before they even have reached puberty? And so there's tons of things that when we start to unpack on a deep, deep level of what's happening in our community, it's not just absentee fathers. That's a part of it. But we need to talk about all of it. And so I think some of this stuff we learned in real time. And the other thing is like we have to separate like there are certain ways that if it was left up to me that I would parent my son absent his mother. It's two of us in here. We're both responsible, you know, but I'm not going to put that on her. You know, I'm not going to tear her down because I disagree with something. As long as it's not physically harm- harmful or long term damaging. There's things that I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, like my son is vegetarian. I'm not. And that was an agreement we had to come to, even though we have very different views of it. There's this these things where I could easily be like, well, I don't think he getting enough protein, you know, or this this old soft diet that you got right. him on. 
Like I'm an old school, hard dude. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, the growth process for me is like, okay, this isn't all about me, first of all, but I also want him to have autonomy. I want him to get to a point where he can actually decide what goes in his body because ultimately it's his body. And it's not about my ego and it's not about her ego. So we ended up landing in a space where it's like, okay, when he gets to 10, he can decide if he wants to eat meat or not. And then we can decide what the, the framework of that is. But a lot of parents aren't healthy and healed in a way to actually take their ego out of it. It's At like, all. Yeah, it's like, it got to be my way. If it ain't my way, I'm going to, you know, knock the other parent and make myself look, look better. And, and instead of ignoring like, okay, well, maybe she doesn't do all these things right. But what does she do right? What do I know I can count on with my son's mom that is going to be just dope and amazing, right? And I think that if you lean into that, that's when the relationship dynamic changed. That's when the ego, that's when whatever didn't work out with y'all, like all that stuff begins to take a backseat to what's really important, which is getting a child to a healthy place where they can live a fulfilling life, you know? Okay, Shaka, we got to go to the nucleus of where change could possibly happen. And I think you you just said it. It's where a man can say, huh, maybe she knows what she's talking about. And now that you've done this research, I know you know Shaka Bars and all these Black celebrities and all these Black, black thought leaders who are talking about food and how it negatively impacts people of African descent. So now that you are reading a little bit more and educating yourself, you can understand why she chose vegetarianism for your son, right? Because it makes him the greatest him that he can be. So where is the line where you step back and go, hmm, maybe she knows what she's talking about. Also remember, women are natural nurturers. When women look Some at- women. Women, when we look out for, we don't ever just look out for ourselves. We're always looking out for ourselves and our children and our tribe versus men seem to be really more concerned with self first and then they take care of maybe their children. And if they're in love, they're women. So there's this place where growth can happen. But I think that Black men by nature, if they have survived the shit in the streets, if they have survived um, marginalism, then they have to, just by nature, be stubborn. And I don't be agree stoked. with that. You don't, you don't think so? I don't agree with that. I, I think that's, uh, you know, even, even in a listen, there's a lot of generalities, right? The general idea that women show up and they all take care of nurses. I know a lot of negligent women. I know a lot right. of negligent men. I know a lot of men who are all the things you just said. I know a lot of men who aren't. And so I think there's a lot of generalities. And even, even the conversation around vegetarianism, you can go to any scientific doctor and there's arguments on both sides. There's arguments for, for a plant-based diet. I mean, but I know a lot of people who are like vegetarian, but they're still eating Twinkies. I mean, this is just being real, right? There, there's a lot of unhealthy people who are plant-based. There's a lot of healthy people who aren't plant-based. So there's science for everything. Yeah. The thing is getting down to a science that you actually understand as applicable to your unique situation in a healthy way, right? And so I think once we begin to generalize people, we stop listening. If I have a general idea about women, I can never hear the incredible, amazing, dope women that's in my life. And I have some, like I have some of the most amazing, incredible women friends family members who we, we have deep conversations. We have conversations like this. Uh, I actually have four sisters and I call them my four mamas and I call them my four mamas because my mother was not healthy in her rearing of us. My mother was abusive. My mother was, you know, had viewpoints that didn't align with a healthy outcome for children. Did you notice that when you were a child? That's why I ran away from home. You know, I ran away from home. It's why it's so many of us run away from home. Like I, I spent tons of times with many brothers in prison and all of us had the same story. Abusive households. I don't know one brother who spent a considerable amount of time where they're getting into the streets started with running, fleeing the dangers at home. What I've discovered over time is even with my mom, like my, me and my mom, we're in a great space now. We're in a space where we can be honest, we can be authentic, we can be healing. Because I took the time to understand her life. I took this time to understand the things that she went to. She was 16 when she had her first child. Yep. She grew up in abusive household. That All those things show up, right? 
But the thing is, I could have carried that out into the world and applied that to every woman I've dated. Sure. Every woman I've dated have characteristics that I have saw, seen in my mother, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the emotional nature, like I'm a very logical, practical thing, right? I could have attached a negative association to that instead of just recognizing that actually we process emotions differently, you know? And so I can be present even when it's uncomfortable for me, even when I don't get it, I can be present and listen. But if I would have approached the world like all women, like my mom, you know what I'm saying? Or all women are like this X or that X, then I can't listen. I can't hear uh, a partner. I can't hear someone I'm dating. I can't hear my sisters when they're in need or my friends when they're in need because I've already painted this, this picture, right? And so what I, what I think is that we have to get to a space of where do we start, right? It all starts with self. I don't care what your gender is. All healing starts with self. Are you willing to do the work on yourself to say, okay, what is mine to own and what is mine not to own? So what I encourage brothers to do, journal. I encourage brothers to make sure that they're having authentic conversations, that they're around men who have healthy mindsets. Like right now, we got a lot of these men who own social media and they really just some suckers. I'm going to just be real with you, right? They pandering to women. Oh, yeah, you know, don't get no brother like this. You know, you got to get a brother that, you know, cares about. It's some stuff we just don't care about. That's just the, the facts of it, right? It's all these little fake tropes that gets the clicks, gets the likes, gets the buy-in. Because if I'm speaking to your trauma, you're going to amen all day. And that's one of the most manipulative tools when you think about all these guys who are on here pandering. And I'm not talking about the healthy guys who are really talking deep and meaningful, but we know what it is. We know social media is full of clickbait. You know, oh, you need a brother like this. You know, if a brother ain't ain't doing this on the first date, he ain't a man. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, Shaka, why did brother, you have to call out Derek Jackson by I mean, that, that, yeah, that goofball, like for real. I'm just, I'm calling it what it is, right? And because that's, because the thing is that we're complex. We have complex scenarios. We have complex understanding of finance. We just have so many complexities that we don't talk about. So the easy thing is to go to those sound bites and make it seem like, you know, if a man just took me out and spent 300 on the first date, we would be all good. You know, that's not true. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's not real. A guy can really be connected to you, have a deep, meaningful conversation. And y'all could have just went and bought ice cream. Don't mean that he's, he's cheap. That's just what the moment called for. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I went on dates that started with us standing by the pond, looking at ducks. Ended at three in the morning with us leaving the, the adult club. You know what I'm saying? And then we did everything in between dinner and all and all the things. So it's really like fake narratives being handed off as truth when in reality we're way more complex than that. Well, you started it. So I would love to know some of the people on social media that you would recommend that speak to women and speak to men. Actually, I don't really listen to too many of them guys, honestly. Do you know that guy Ace? Ace something? I don't, I don't know none of these cats. Like, I'm going to just be real with you. I am not listening to anybody who's leaning into toxic tropes. I'm not listening to anybody who's pawning themselves off as a professional relationship therapist when they're 25 years old. <laughs> I'm just not wasting that type of energy. You know what I mean? Um, well, I'm desperate to know what you thought about Kevin Samuels then. I didn't think anything about him, honestly, other than that he maximized the platform. And, you know, and I think with, with all these, all these people, there's going to be inklings of truth in their narratives, right? But it's not the whole truth. It's, you know, I'm far too intelligent to sit up and listen to somebody that's going to lean into somebody's pain and diminish them and tear them out and, and add some truth to it, right? I mean, I think, you know, the, the few clips that I've seen, there were some things that he said that were, that were probably, you know, appropriate, right? When we're talking about, if you're only based in it on economics, right, there's probably some truth somewhere in there, right? But the reality is that's a very generalized statement to make. And so I don't, I just don't lean into that. Like I, I refuse to feed myself toxic information. I refuse to listen to people who don't operate from a health center perspective in their own lives. And I just don't, I don't, I don't engage in them, them conversations. So I'm not listening to them guys. I'm like a super grown man. You know what I mean? That that doesn't work work for me, you know. And and what I will say that I appreciate about all of them is that at least they are generating conversations that will help some people get to a truth, right? 
And what I mean by that is if you're in disagreement with the content, then that means that you have an alternative opinion that you can have a conversation about, right? So whenever people have sent me clips, they're like, okay, well, what are your thoughts on this clip? If I feel like it's something I can add real value to, I'll speak to that. If I don't, then I'm like, I'm not listening to the, to these guys, you know? And I, and even with the guy, Derek Jackson, like I, I, you know, I, I dismissed him like as a clown. And I think that's unfair. He's a human being. I don't want to, you know, demean no brothers, you know, cause he's on his journey, whatever that journey is, what I dislike is the exploitation of people's pain. And I think that is a thing that's so toxic in our culture, so unhealthy when we lean into, you know, or oh, I know this woman is hurting. So let me tell her all the things that probably every guy she's ever dated told her at the beginning, but then to deny the human evolution that's required to build a real relationship. And I just don't think that's healthy. That is it. The human evolution. Individually, each one of us has to be on our own journey to expand. And that to me, as a person who sits back and observes, as a person who is really fascinated by what humans do, inertia is way too alluring for people. I think it's like, this is work. If it ain't broke. And I feel like a lot of us operate in that way versus staring down our ugly versus really diving deep into our generational trauma. And all of us have it. I mean, we could have talked about this forever. And I love that he was like, nah, I don't agree with that. It's true. We are all super rooted in our own personal experiences. So it's so easy to make a generalization for me because I'm a woman. I have a lot of single mama friends because we become a tribe and I hear all of their stories and the stories of the men bowing out when it gets hard or, or not being there and loyal and honest and responsible, not providing like the stories are unbelievable. And, you know, each one of us are picking and pulling out the parts that we're the most grateful for. Like for me, I'm grateful I never married my child's father because then it would really feel like I was trapped in a situation I didn't want to be in or trapped in making bad decisions or trapped. And, you know, I have other friends who are like, oh, I'm glad I did marry him because I have steady stream of money to support the child that comes every single month. Whereas I don't have that setup. So, you know, it's yin and yang. It's, it's some people win with their circumstance. Some people don't. All I know is nobody is thrilled with with their dynamic. And I loved hearing Shaka's perspective that especially the part about toxic women. I, because I'm not a toxic woman, I've only encountered toxic men. So this conversation can go on and on and on. He said so many brilliant things rooted in where he comes from. We both were very honest about our own trauma And I think that is where this conversation will find some relief is if each individual person literally faces their own crap head on. And that's what it takes. I mean, we can talk about this. There can be books written all day and night. But if each person who can potentially be in a relationship with another person and create human life, if each person deals with their own trauma, their own shadow, their own darkness, then we can come to each other healed and have productive relationships. And we are not at that place yet. It feels like we are on, we're coming out of a very toxic state. There's so many reasons why. I mean, you can just look at the world. It's, it's, it's a mess. But right now it is up to you. And I'm speaking to you specifically. If your name is Sarah, I'm talking to you, Sarah. If your name is Damon, I'm talking to you, Damon. Each one of us, the universe is asking us, it's begging us to deal with our own shit. And specifically, and I saw this meme the other day, stop getting in relationships when what you need to be doing is dealing with your stuff. Maybe go seeing a therapist. Maybe go sit alone. Maybe have a talk with a trusted friend about some of the things that you can improve upon. This is where we are in 2023, right? We're coming out the craziest last couple of years, three years of, ins- of crazy, 
right? A global pandemic? What? We didn't even think that was possible. And now we're at a place where we're like, oh, it is about leveling up every single day right now. For me, I'm one of those people. If I'm like, what can I learn out of what I just experienced? If it's doing me harm, it's got to be discarded. If it's feeding my soul, my mind, my emotions, it needs to stay. It needs to stay. I need to also journal about it. We got to get down to not only healing ourselves, but our community. Not only staring ourselves in the face and admitting where we fall short. There is no shame in that. We all fall short. For we have all been raised in a system that fails us, that marginalizes us, that assumes who we are, that stereotypes, discriminates, shames. So there's no shame there. We are all in the same pot. But what we do with it, and we've all heard this before, what you do with the challenges is who you are. So let's all get it together, y'all. I love you. It is my birthday tomorrow. (laughs) And I'll probably not do anything for my birthday because that's not the person that I am. Plus, I celebrated it Sunday at my dope party where I just basically spoiled all the women in my Mama Stay collective that live in Los Angeles that have given their time, their support, their love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you who are here with us, riding with us, loving what we're doing. I know this is a, it's, it's something I'm, I'm so inspired by every single mom that I talk with every single time that we can shift as a collective is mind blowing and absolutely exactly where I want to be. Thank you, Jenny Media, for always having my back. I so appreciate you. This journey is just, it's delicious, and I appreciate all the help. Until next week, guys, I will talk to you soon. Take care of yourself. Look yourself in the mirror and say I love you. Smile. We got this. I will talk to you next time. We did it. The first daddy. Tell me what you thought about that. Definitely. You have to DM me. You have to email me. I want to hear. And thank you, Shaka Sangor. You are the shit. I will talk to you guys soon. Much love. Thanks for hanging out, Mama. I know how little time we have in our day to honor ourselves, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Make sure you click like, rate, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about today's show and what you want to hear going forward. Remember, mommying is a gift and you're doing a kick-ass job. So, Wusa and Mama Stay.